Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today is taken from this gospel lesson. It's short enough, I'll read it again. At that time some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your chicken under chicken children <laughs> as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Uh, look, your house has left you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here ends our text. I always find myself singing Advent hymns in Lent, which doesn't seem to make too much sense other than the fact that, well, Advent is a time of preparation, is it not? Time for us to be able to prepare our hearts for the coming of our Lord. Well, Lent is also a time for us to prepare our hearts to fully grasp and understand this great mystery of the gospel. Our title of our sermon today is God's Way is the Right Way. And I'd like to explain that a little bit more as we go along. How many times has it happened to you that You've gotten into an elevator and then a whole bunch of other people have come into that elevator and there you stand. You're at the very back of the elevator and you'd be the last person out and the elevator goes up and all of a sudden the door behind you opens up. And you come to discover that you're the first person who can get off of that elevator. That's what Jesus meant when he said, the last shall be first and the first shall be last that something is happening, that there's a difference between the way of men and the way that men think and the way of God, that is God's way that leads to that pathway of heaven. We've had some pilots who have told us about the great danger of flying on the basis of your own reason and sense. Some of you remember one of the Kennedys who was flying an airplane out to the island of Nantucket and he plunged his airplane directly into the sea because he was flying on the basis of his own instincts rather than on the basis of his gauges. For when you go into clouds and such and airplanes, very often up seems like down and down seems like up. And many a plane has been lost because people did not trust what the gauges were saying rather than what it is that they by their own reason and sense were thinking. Here too, Jesus is telling us that there are things that seem right to us, but what are, that are definitely wrong. And there are ways that are wrong, and there are ways that to us we would say are the wrong way, which in fact is God's way and the right way. That's why it is that Jesus had such opposition as he entered into the city of Jerusalem, as he was on his way even to the city of Jerusalem, here was probably one of the most religious cultures 
in the history of the world. And here, this religious culture became probably the most opposed to Christ out of all religious cultures. What could be the reason? Well, to begin with, rightly, it was to these people that God gave his law. And that law is something that will direct us in our life, tells us how we should go. It sets before us as a guide what we should do and not do. It is something that he gave to us for the purpose of preserving our lives. Yeah, when we honor the fifth commandment and we don't murder, we find out that maybe our lives are preserved. When we give honor to those who are given to us by God, we find out that our life is enhanced by it. It preserves our life. It is something that, well, it is something that ultimately gives to us a true understanding of the will of God. But the great problem is when men decide that that law is a basis for how they're going to enter into heaven. That is, they believe that by conforming their lives to that law that they will thereby gain, earn, work their way into everlasting life. So the very good thing that God gave in his law is something that men turn around and make into a means for something other than what God intended it to be. That's why the ways of men will become different than the way of God. Secondly, we know that God is a merciful God, don't we? Perhaps even all religions aspire to some degree of God being merciful. Even the Muslims will say, Allah is merciful then all of a sudden, people take that idea that God is merciful and they apply it in the most general sense, as though supposedly God just is kind of this weak father who just wants his kids to behave, but when they don't behave, that he is now going to say, well, on the last day, what does it really all matter? And so, whereas the person who uses the law turns the law into legalism, the person who has this mercy of God turns it into universalism. That's why they came to Jesus. They said, Lord, are, are, is it going to be a few that are saved? The answer is almost, well, you can almost anticipate what they were looking for. If Jesus said, yeah, it's just going to be a few, that God would look like he was really terrible. And so they turn around and they say, well, that must mean that he's just kind of going to save everybody. And that's not what it is that God's way is. Then, of course, is that whole thing, I guess you might call it of association. You know, yeah, I go to church. I, I, I'm there every once in a while. I'm a member of church. Yeah, I, 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 in fact, I even go to communion once every month or so. Yeah, I, in fact, I've, I've been a Lutheran for all my life, and I've been attending and going to church, praying every once in a while. And there we stand at the day, door of judgment, and 
We say, Lord, now it's time for me to let it go in. Well, we, you've, been in you've been here. You've been among us. You've, you've been, he says, I have never known you because it's on the outside. It was there in form. There's nothing in the heart. We call it sometimes formalism where we just go through the actions and the actions don't have any substance to them. That, for many men, is their way, but it is not God's way. And where there is legalism, and where there is this universalism, and where there is this formalism, that's always where it is that fear is to be found. Because when it comes to legalism, we could never, ever fulfill the law and never come to a point where we could believe that God would take us to heaven if it all depended on our works. We could never be certain of our salvation if somehow God was just this dismissive God who just kind of maybe led everybody into heaven if he possibly might someday there on the day of judgment maybe think about saving us. And certainly, we're never going to ever be certain of our salvation if our religion is something that we just simply wear on the outside, where we put those toes into the church, and we think that this is what it is that God is expecting of us, like it's some sort of a D on a test, and we're happy with that. Now, that's the way of men, and it always makes people afraid and that's why it is that those Pharisees thought they could play with Jesus when they came up and they said, Hey, Herod's after you. You better run. And Jesus isn't afraid at all. That's what fear does. Fear preys upon us whenever we are uncertain of our salvation, when we have no basis upon which to build our hope of eternal life. Fear-mongering is what we call what these people do when they come along and they threaten us and they tell us that bad things are going to happen. Well, why would bad things happen when in fact we're God's people? If God is God, why is it that we would be afraid whatsoever? Unless we did not believe that we had any basis or certainty for why God is favorable towards us. That's why it is that our text wants us to understand that God's way is a far better way and God's way is very different from the ways of men. When it comes down to God's law, yes, we too have God's law. We do understand the first three commandments that we are to love God with all of our heart. We do understand the last seven commandments that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we do understand that this is not the ten suggestions. These are the ten commandments of God and that there in his law is the word of God that commands us to be this but we understand more. We understand vastly more because we know that as we look at that law and it penetrates inside of our hearts and we realize that we cannot save ourselves and that we are not the kind of perfect people we must be, that the true intent of the law begins to be fulfilled in us because its intention is to drive us to despair. 
and to make us realize that we cannot save ourselves and that as desperate people there has to be an answer from the outside. That is the so-called alien work of the law, but it is God's intention. It is not there to teach us how to save ourselves. It is there to teach us that we cannot save ourselves. That's God's way, and it isn't a very healthy way if you think about it from a human standpoint. Who wants to consider themselves to be a person who cannot save themselves, a person who's condemned under law, a person who's under God's wrath? Is that not natural? It is something which is alien and it drives our hearts to despair. But the best part is yet to come. That when it comes to God's mercy, that wondrous, gracious mercy of God, we know and understand, therefore, why Christ came into this world. He came into the world, as Paul says, to save sinners, of whom he says, I am the greatest, the very greatest. I say that about myself. I am far greater of a sinner than the Apostle Paul. But God's mercy is something which is far greater than that. And God's mercy is not an excuse for universalism, as though God is somehow up there pining away for all of us, and if we don't quite do what he wants us to do, that that's okay. And if we don't believe what we're supposed to believe, that's okay. No, God's mercy is there because God's forgiveness is there for the contrite sinners and for those who are broken and cannot see their righteousness. It's so contrary to reason, too, isn't it? Just like that airplane pilot who's out there flying through the fog and he thinks that maybe that ground is below him when really that ground is above him and he has to believe the instrumentation when we find ourselves so desperate realizing that we cannot be what God wants us to be. We look to the instrumentation of God's word that says God is in Christ merciful to us. As Timothy today is baptized into Christ's name, contrary to all our reason and our sense, God did something for him today that is far greater than anything that any man could ever do. He gave him the gift of everlasting life. He forgave him for all his sins. He gave him a gift of the Holy Spirit that would sustain him and keep him through all of life's trials and tribulations. And he gave him the assurance of knowing that there in those waters of baptism, God would never take from him his presence and his power and his might. And he will watch over him for the rest of his life. That's why it is that it is God's mercy that sets our hearts firm upon a God who is committed to us and cannot be taken from us. This is something that we have a hard time, however, finding. Why is it so hard for us to believe the gospel? It's so hard for us to believe the gospel because grace, a free forgiveness, God's one-sided mercy is so hard for us to grasp because we have a sinful nature. That's why for us this Holy Week is so important. As we watch Christ come riding upon that donkey humbly into the city of Jerusalem, and then just a few days later, we see him celebrating with his disciples his last meal and then Good Friday with his body being beaten, his body being nailed, his 
body suffering and dying upon that cross. Why are we so intent to understand that? Because when he died there, he paid for the sins of the whole world. And what we cannot grasp by our own human reason or sense is that God in heaven has now been reconciled to us and is at peace with us and has put away all our sin and our salvation depends solely upon Christ and what he has done for us. So that when that Easter morning comes and that resurrection of Christ becomes the sole focus of our worship, we come to the realization that no matter what, God's grace and mercy cannot be taken from us and that he who died is now alive and rules the heavens and the earth for us so that now, no matter what, through all trials and tribulations, whatever may come to us in our life, that God will never forsake us and that he is at peace with us all the way to the day that we, along with Timothy, enter into eternity in the presence of God. Who can have that confidence if we are thinking with the ways of men? But we think and we believe the instrument of God's word that tells us without a doubt that that belongs to us and that neither life nor death nor anything present or things to come was ever going to be able to separate us from the love of God which has been given to us in Christ Jesus our Lord as the Apostle Paul has said. Yeah, we associate, we come to church, we do the outward things, we pray, we come to the Lord's table. It is true that we do all those things. But always and always, whenever we enter into this worship of our God, we also enter into the very true and real presence of Christ. And he promises us this, that as a mother hen gathers her chicks, very few of us have ever been on farms where we saw this phenomena take place. I was lucky. I was out there in the barnyard up in Minnesota in my sister's farm and there up above was a great big owl. And there was the mother hen down below. And when she started calling, she went like this. And all of her chicks came and ran underneath her arms. So that if that owl ever came down and grabbed anything, it would grab her and not her chicks. That's what Jesus said. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and those sent to you, how many times would I have gathered you under my wings as a mother hen gathers her chicks, and you would not. But he would to us. And he wants to remind us that in every trial and situation that we face in our life, no matter what cross we bear, that he will gather us under his wings and watch over us. Jesus knew what was about to happen to him. But he also knew and understood that this was God's pathway. That God's pathway, even though it led through a cross, that same cross we will find and follow as we come after him. Remember, remember, God's way 
is always the right way. There's a hymn that we sing. The second stanza goes like this. It's one of my favorites. I always quote it. It's the hymn called Let Us Ever Walk With Jesus. And stanza two says, Let us suffer here with Jesus to his image ere conform. Heaven's glory soon will please us. Sunshine follow on the storm. Though we sow in tears of sorrow, we shall reap with heavenly joy, and the fears that now annoy shall be laughter on the morrow. Christ, I suffer here with thee. There, O share thy joy with me. This we sing with absolute confidence and assurance because we know and understand and grasp the great mercy of our God. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding guard and keep your thoughts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.